athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked in to the dopest show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Hope you're continuing to stay safe. It's a Memorial Day kind of weekend here on the program and all the music. You know, it's a throwback. You know, Memorial Day weekend, we throw it back. We have great memories. Some of the great memories I have growing up in the Washington area. Go, go. And of course, junkyards, rough it off. I mean, I used to be up in the go-go's junkyard, backyard. Those were the two that I had a chance to see sometimes down at maybe the Ibex or at the Black Hole or a lot of times even junkyard. And backyard as well would come up when I was a student at Morgan State. I remember one year backyard played at Morgan State uh, and at, from time to time would play up in the Baltimore area as well, would definitely go to the go-go so my music for today here on the program is going to consist of music from the dmv listen got a whole lot to get to on today's program as a matter of fact in the next segment going to be joined by the new head men's basketball coach at alabama state mo williams former nba all-star and nba champion mo williams now the head men's basketball coach at alabama state going to join us on the program the nfl as a matter of fact has tweaked the rooney rule want to talk a little bit about that want to talk about what was on the table for the national football league as well and also joining us today here on from the press box to press row as nascar gets things kicked off at darlington last week we're going to be joined by rookie tyler reddick Tyler Reddick also going to join us today here on the program. What do you have memories of listening to growing up? I want you to tell me now by hitting me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W, on my personal Twitter account, at dware one my personal Instagram account, at WearDonald. Thank you to all of the great affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row. Those that listen to us in the Washington area on WHUR 96.3 HD2. Those that listen to us on Sirius XM channel 142 and those that listen to us around the world at box Let's talk about the National Football League and its changes to the Rooney rule, which, of course, mandates that all teams interview a minority candidate before selecting a head coach. And even before we talk about that, last week uh, the NFL Network reported that the owners were considering a proposal that uh, said that it would improve a team's third-round pick by somewhere between six to ten spots if said team hired a minority candidate for a vacant GM or head coaching position, as well as other compensation for hiring minority candidates for uh, such positions as quarterbacks coach. And I mean, I, I get it. Like I get what the national football league is trying to do. The, it, obviously <clears throat> the league has a problem currently only four minority head coaches, three of those coaches is black and as a matter of fact since Brian Flores was hired by uh was uh hired by the Dolphins in the 2018 season there has not been one minority head coach hired Ron Rivera was the head coach of course of the Panthers last year uh 
now the head coach of the Redskins. So there have been no minority hirings since Brian Flores was hired in 2018. It's an absolute disgrace. It is something that we have talked about uh, a number of times. I get it. The the National Football League is looking to try to do something, and that was sort of the proposal that the league was able to come up with. I think, to me, that particular proposal, in my opinion, is a bit of a slap in the face from the perspective of, I mean, this is something that we shouldn't even have to be dealing with as it stands. But, you know, and I, and I realize we want to move forward. But I, my thing is, especially when you're talking about race in America, I think you always have to address what has happened before you can move forward. And I think that's a lot of the problem, not only in sports, but just in society as a whole. We never want to talk about what has happened. We always want to try to sweep what has happened under the rug. Okay, and that is really a serious part of the problem. You had for so many years really a situation, especially when you look at the 20s and the 30s. It wasn't really until the mid 40s where blacks were more accepted. And there was never really, at least from what I read, it was generally an unwritten rule that you didn't have a lot of a lot of black players uh, to play in the National Football League. Sparsely, uh, there were players that played. I mean, the first coach was Fritz Pollard going back to 1920, who was also one of the uh, first players, the first player, actually, a black player in the National Football League. It wasn't until after really, you know, mid-40s where black players started to really be able to uh, be a part of the league. Um, you look at from an HBCU perspective, I mean, the first black player in the National Football League from an HBCU or the first HBCU player was uh, Paul Tank Younger uh, with the Rams going all the way back to 1949. He wasn't even drafted. The first player drafted from an HBCU into the National Football League was Bob Stonewall Jackson of North Carolina A&T back during the 1950 NFL draft was selected in the 16th round. So, I mean, the, the problem goes back many years. And then in the modern day, National Football League, the only the, the first black coach was Art Shell. And I mean, for I mean, and again, it was something I talked about maybe a couple of months ago. I mean, you have a lot. I mean, Art Shell is a is a coach that, um, you know, you have all of the, you have a lot of coaches that get so many opportunities, white coaches that get so many opportunities that have not had a lot of success. And you look comparatively speaking at Art Shell and Art Shell had success, uh, had success. I mean, he had success, especially early on. Yet once uh, once he was fired by the Raiders, didn't get another shot until, you know, what, 10 years later, uh, 15 years later, whatever it was. And by that game time, the game was certainly different, especially not from only when uh, when he coached, but also when he played. Art Shell certainly a an old school player, but all of that to say, you you have to address the problem from where it started, and then to be able to move forward. So, I mean, it's an issue uh, that we're going to be talking about, unfortunately, for some time. You 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 don't have this same issue in the NBA. The first black coach in the NBA um, was Bill Russell. Uh, and then ultimately, I mean, but e- even with Bill Russell being the first, he was the first black head coach uh, in the NBA. But the first coach or assistant coach in the NBA uh, was uh, Earl Lloyd, Mr. Earl Lloyd. Rest in peace to Mr. Earl Lloyd, who was also the first black player uh, in the NBA. So the NBA has done a good job. But this is the thing. You have the National Football League, which is what, close to 70 percent black. Uh, yet you only have three black head coaches. That's a problem. Even if you look at Major League Baseball, I mean, you only have a, I mean, that's another conversation for a different day, but you only have about 4% of of players in Major League Baseball are black, uh, yet you have, you know, you've had some black managers, um, certainly, uh, and you've had, you know, some Latino managers as well. So, you know, the National Football League has done a, a, a very poor job, and I get it. They're trying to, you know, try to right or wrong. But the, the, the part of the problem is that the National Football League was, in fact, part of the problem. 
uh, not uh, again after Fritz Pollard, not hiring the first black coach until 1989. That's a wide gap when you're talking about from the 20s until the late 80s. But again, so with that being said, what uh, they didn't implement that particular rule, but one of the some of the rules that have now been implemented, not only does a minority candidate have to be interviewed um, for the head coaching job, but now has to also be interviewed for a, a vacant offensive, defensive, or special teams coordinator position. So that's one of the rules um, that certainly has been changed. Another rule that has been changed is that teams um, the, uh, are required to interview minorities and or female applicants for positions such as team president and senior executives in communications, finance, human resources, all of those things. See, this is, you know, and, 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 and at least, you know, we're taking steps. But again, you know, when you've had a history of this type of thing, this is where we are now, unfortunately. But you know what? And I've said this before and I've said this on this program before. We're talking about the lack of head coaches, but you know where it starts with. And I think that's one of the good things, at least about the new rules, is that a if there's a, a vacant offensive coordinator position, defensive coordinator position or a vacant special teams coordinator position, then a minority candidate has to be hired. You have to start from the bottom up. And that's part of the problem. You, the, the, you know, you had this rule and then you say, OK, well, you have to satisfy the rule and I mean we've seen some successes obviously um, you look at a Mike Tomlin who probably would have never gotten an opportunity to get an interview he gets the he gets to interview with the Steelers gets the job Mike Tomlin's one of the best coaches in the no question in the National Football League probably would have not would have not gotten that opportunity but now you have a situation where if there's a vacant offensive defensive coordinator a uh, special teams coordinator position, then a minority candidate has to be hired. I think that uh, that helps because at the end of the day, to me, while this is a National Football League problem, this is a football problem. And it also, I think, is it starts or part of the problem also exists in collegiate football at the FBS level. I mean, just a handful and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just a handful of coaches at the FBS level are black or minority. And then, you know, certainly the defensive court. See, it, 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 and then look, because you have all of these, you have a lot of these coaches that were hired or that have been hired over the years that were college football coaches, may have had some NFL experience, but in terms of head coaching experience, a lot of the head, some of the head coaching experience comes from the collegiate level. And I think that's part of the problem as well that needs to also be addressed by the NCAA. It's bottom up. It is bottom up. And so obviously if you can have an opportunity to be a head coach um, at the college level, then you may have a better opportunity to be a head coach at the National Football League level. So I think. I, I mean, I give I guess I, I you know, the 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 absurdness to me of saying, OK, well, if you in fact hire a minority candidate, then in the third round, you could move up, you know, six to ten draft picks to me is absurd. But I think what the league is, at least I'll give the league a little bit of credit in terms of tweaking the Rooney rule a little bit uh, to me, the bigger thing is now minority candidates have to be interviewed for defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and special team coordinator positions. And, oh, by the way, for also front office positions, including communications positions, which, you know, if you follow this show for any time, I mean, at, at one time, and I don't know what the numbers are now, no, Tony Wiley more recently left, the Redskins, when you look at black communications directors, it was quite a few in the league. At one time, it was like six of them, six black communications directors. At least five of them 
were HBCU grads. So, I mean, that's solid. But, I mean, there's a lot more work that certainly needs to be done because, again, an emphasis needs to be placed on the fact that the National Football League is close to 70% black. So with that being said, uh, the head coaching positions need, uh, there need to be a lot more head coaches. And again, at the general manager and upper management position, there need to be um, minority candidate, minority minorities and blacks that are in those particular positions as well. You know, I, I'm not going to say they're going to hire you because you're black, but at the end of the day, they're going to look at you differently because they've been in your shoes before and under, have a better understanding of what it is in fact like to be black in society. That is the bottom line at the end of the day. And so, you know, I give the league a little bit of credit, but it's still a long way to go. And again, I think a lot of this uh, has to change also in FBS football. Your thoughts, hit me up via Twitter at Boxtorow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. It's a Memorial Conda weekend here on From the Press Box to Press Row. All DMV music today on the program. On the other side of this break, we're going to be joined by the head men's basketball coach at Alabama State, the new head coach, former NBA player, Mo Williams. Dish TV is better than cable TV. Here's why. Dish has the nation's lowest TV price, along with an award-winning DVR that can skip commercials, record eight shows at once, and get access to thousands of movies at your fingertips. Cable simply can't even compare. So the smart choice is to cut the cable and get Dish. Plus, you get all these great TV features, free HD DVR upgrade, free installation, and free movie channels. Say goodbye to cable and get more with Dish TV. Call 800-579-0107. 800-579-0107. As an added bonus, you can switch to Dish now and receive a $50 Visa gift card. So call now and get Dish TV. 800-579-0107. 800-579-0107. That's 800-579-0107. Limited time offer, 24-month commitment, and credit qualification required. Cancellation fee, monthly equipment fees, and other restrictions apply. Promotion can change at any time. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. continue here on from the press box to press row we're joined by a gentleman as a matter of fact who was introduced as the new head men's basketball coach at alabama state in a virtual press conference on wednesday played 14 seasons in the nba a former all-star former nba champion most notably with the cleveland cavaliers he is mo williams he joins us here on from the press box to press row coach williams congratulations and welcome to the program Hi. I appreciate it, man. That was a great intro, man. I couldn't have did it. I couldn't have did it better than you. <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, how, how are things, man? First of all, with you again, as I mentioned, congratulations. I mean, how does it feel to be the new head men's basketball coach at Alabama State? Well, tr- well, trust me, I'm I'm feeling it. You know, um, you know, head coach come with you know more responsibilities for one, and um, I'm up for the task. Um, but at the same time, it's exciting. It's fun. Uh, I'm young, I'm hungry, I'm emo- I'm motivated. So all those things wrapped up in one, man. I'm I'm just ready to get started. Yeah, you know, I think I think one of the things is like you, you know, you're no stranger. You played at Alabama, but you're no stranger to the SWAC, uh, which which is which is interesting. And then you know, probably to Alabama State as well. Did you have any association with Alabama State prior uh, to this appointment? Well, I, I, absolutely. I mean, the swag is in my blood. My whole family went to the swag. Um, I guarantee you, if I wasn't an athlete or as a good of an athlete I was, uh, I would have been at a swag institution myself. So that that bleeds 
um, through my entire family, starting with my mom, my dad, you know, my sister, my brother, even aunts and cousins. We all got that experience growing up as a kid. I've always experienced those moments going to games, um, experiencing the halftime shows. I mean, there's, there's no greater experience um, as a kid and as an adult to experience those things. I'm ex- that's one thing I'm excited about also. Uh, but the SWAC is, is, is dear to my heart. Um, I'm happy. Um, obviously, um, Alabama State blessed me with the opportunity to come run their program. And, and everything that I've um, experienced in life has been through um, HBCU, especially coming up as a youth. Yeah, no, you know, one of the interesting things is, what, what's the, how, do you, how do you pronounce the high school? You, is it Murrah, the high school you went to? It, it's pronounced Murrah. 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 So yep. with respect, to, I mean, that's where Lindsey Hunter also went to school, came along before you. He's now the head men's basketball coach at, of course, uh, Mississippi Valley State, played at Jackson State. Um, what, what's the, I mean, I'm sure he was a guy you – uh, probably looked up to a little bit coming up uh, uh, in high school? Well, I'll take the probably out. You know, Lindsey, we went to the same high school. He was older than me, and when I got to high school, he was already in the NBA. And and at that time when I was in high school, me and his little brother, um, Tommy Hunter, we was teammates. So it, it was a fortunate time that the NBA had a lockout back in 98, but that gave Lindsey time to come home, and he was coming to our games. He was at our practices. He was around. Um, I even worked out with him. He took me on this wing. So I have a, a fun for Lindsey because he's always been that guy for me, especially early on in my career um, it's, um, in high school. So me and Lindsey go way back. Yep. Mo Williams, yes, that Mo Williams is the new head men's basketball coach at Alabama State. As he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row, let me let me switch gears slightly, uh, Coach Williams. It's interesting because you, uh, when you were drafted into the league um, back in the uh, 2003 NBA draft, it was actually Michael Jordan's last season was 02-03, so you didn't have a chance uh, to play with him. But obviously you played uh, ultimately with LeBron James after being uh, drafted first uh, by the, the Bucks. Your thoughts... Um, on the last dance series that just completed episode 10 on Sunday? Well, for one, it's, it's, it's a documentary for the ages. Um, it's a documentary that I will go back and watch 1 through 10 again because it was that enlightened, that, that revelating. Um, it just shows the, I mean, it gives you goosebumps watching, Mike. Um, you know, as a kid growing up, obviously you mentioned that I was drafted the year he retired, but people forget in 2003, the year he retired, he scored 40 in a game at 38 years old. If people don't remember that, I remind them that. <laughs> but he's just a special, special guy, someone that every kid in America looks up to. I have my own collection of Jordan. I probably got probably every pair of Jordans he ever created. <laughs> um, that's the impact he's had on, you know, everybody. And I say that to say this, you know, people want to um, get into the debate of LeBron and, 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 and Jordan. I say 20 years from now, you know, after kids that didn't see LeBron or caught him at the end and, and just go off the same thing that you was going off with Mike, it's going to be the same feeling that you have with LeBron 20 years from now when his documentary come out. You're going to feel the same way. You're going to see his greatness. You're going to see footage that you never thought you would see and appreciate him a little bit more. Because, you know, because what I got most out of that, the last dance documentary, was Jordan really showing that he's really human, you know, that he has problems, that he, he had to fight through a lot of adversity. You know, kids will think that, you know, Jordan had it made. You know, he... He was the best player. They had the red carpet out for him. But if you take a really good look at the documentary, you will see how much adversity he had to go through. And that's what touched me the most, just the willpower and the mental strength that he had to to get through adverse situations. Yeah, you know, I I don't think it's fair to ask you specifically. I mean, you know, I I think the compare. you're right. I mean, I think the comparison 
it's not really, uh, you know, it's different eras, not necessarily a fair comparison. I mean, but when I think about Mike, see, I was a Magic fan, so I didn't really, and I'm 40, 45, 46, so I really could appreciate Mike uh, when he was playing. So I'm not going to ask you who's better, but, you know, what what is it, what was it like for you playing with LeBron, but it sounds like growing up sort of idolizing Mike? Well, obviously you knew you were presence of greatness for one um even when he was 25 years old when i was first his teammate he was still growing into his own but you you, you the aura of greatness was there um you, you knew you was around someone that was very special um even at that age um so i i think that's the comparison we can give i mean you try to break down their games i mean that's easy you know you try to break down and compare and then you you really arguably choosing someone um, it's no right or wrong, but I would say they both have a lot of uh, characteristics by watching the documentary and and being a teammate of LeBron and uh, understanding how you you know those guys want to be great and to be great you got to have a different mentality than everybody else and not just your teammates. I'm talking about every player in the NBA, and that's one thing I can say. Watching the documentary, Jordan had that I already had that thought in my mind about him but knowing knowing LeBron the, the, the time that I've known him as long as I've known him he has those same, same characteristics and that's still going on today with him Mo Williams again is the new head men's basketball coach at Alabama State and he joins us here in the program I actually said you were drafted by the Bucks. actually you were drafted by Utah but started started to really come into your own um, in Milwaukee take us through you I mean because you were a second round pick 47th overall, had a nice NBA uh, career, as a matter of fact. What was that first season like for you in Utah? Um, for one, it was liberating. You know, you, you you set a goal to get somewhere, no matter if you was number one pick, 47th pick. I was an NBA player, you know, and I had the opportunity to experience that, and it was, it was uh, an experience second to none. And you know, to grow into my own and get the opportunities to show what I can do, um, that's all you can ask for. And I got that opportunity and took and took advantage of it. Um, just continue to get better, um, continue to grow, continue to mature. And those things I did and, and gave myself an opportunity to be in a position to be successful. And that's some of the things and a lot of the things, um, uh, be, to be quite frank, that I that I was still in my void at Alabama State, those same characteristics, you know, just just taking every opportunity and take advantage of it. Yeah, you know, I definitely let me let me ask you this, and then ultimately getting traded to to Milwaukee. Um, talk about that, but again, that's when you really started to sort of come into Absolutely. your own. Absolutely, I mean, I was drafted by um, Utah second round. And at the time in 2003, first-round picks, they're guaranteed, you know, three, four years, three years with an option. But second-round picks, you know, you, you base it on a non-guaranteed contract. It's up to the team to decide how many years they want to give you, um, et cetera. And I was in a position where Utah just signed me to a one-year deal. Um, and I had the opportunity to play, and I, and I did enough to have other teams interested in me. And I had the opportunity to be, be a free agent after that year. I didn't get traded then. Okay. And I signed with Milwaukee. They, they approached me with a three-year deal. Um, and it was a great opportunity. And my second year in the NBA in Milwaukee, um, I owed them a lot. They gave me an opportunity. They signed me, young kid. I was 22 years old. And I started every single game. And that gave me a boatload of experience. I'm playing against the top play, uh, point guards in the league at that time. In my second year, all-stars. Um, that gave me a lot of confidence leading into my third year where um, I really started coming to my own in my fourth year. You know, I, I really became, you know, the player that I am today. And that's all with just opportunities. I spent four years in Milwaukee, and that's how the Cleveland opportunity happened. Um, I just signed a deal with Milwaukee to be there for six more years. And after that first year, my contract, all of a sudden, you know, LeBron wanted me. And that, that spoke volumes, you know, to uh, for me because of the simple fact that he was trying to win championships and he looked at me and as a player that could come in and, and, and help him get to that plateau. Um, so, and that's that's all about 
taking advantage, like I said, taking advantage of my opportunities that I had early on in my career to put me in a position that I was in five years into my career, six years into my career to go play with LeBron. And the first year I got with LeBron, you know what? Guess what? I became an NBA All-Star, mm-hmm. you know, so I continued to grow. So it's just a maturation process. It was just a growth process, and it was just taking advantage of every opportunity that was in front of me. Mo Williams is the new head men's basketball coach at Alabama State. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press where We're going to take a small break. We'll come back, talk with Coach Williams about the rest of his career in the NBA, that NBA championship for the Cavaliers in 2016, and talk more about the Alabama State program as you're locked into From the Press Box to Press Row. All right, we're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We are talking with Mo Williams. He is the new head men's basketball coach at Alabama State, had a nice career uh, in the NBA. And, of course, uh, Coach Williams, you, you mentioned it, All-Star, 2009. Cleveland started to to really make that run. But, you know, let's fast forward a little bit to that uh, season where ultimately you come back. You had gone to a couple of different teams, ultimately came back to Cleveland and won that championship. 2016, that's 15-16 season. Talk about that season and talk about winning uh, your first and only NBA championship. It was amazing. Um, the year before that, I was in my 12th year, and um, I was in Minnesota, and we was pretty bad. And that was the year that uh, we go on the road, play Indiana, and I have 52 on the road. And um, a week after that, um, I get traded to Charlotte. It was a week before the trade deadline, and I get traded to Charlotte. Now, the week before I got traded to Charlotte, I was in Minnesota. I was at the Western Conference, and I won um, Player of the Week in the whole NBA. Then I get traded, and I go to Charlotte, which is in the Eastern Conference. I go there, in the first week that I get traded, I averaged 28 and, like, seven assists. It was just crazy numbers. I win Player of the Week then, just make a point. Only player in NBA history to win Player of the Week in two different conferences in the same year. Wow! So that happened the year before I went to Cleveland, and I said that to say this: I was still playing at a high level. So I go into free agency that summer, and I had to make a decision: go chase a better deal or as money going to a team that may not go to the playoffs, they need a veteran guy around, some young guys, that type of thing, or go compete for a championship and not worry about what you're making. I chose to go win a championship. That's what brought me back to Cleveland. Um, So getting back there, Kyrie was hurt the first um, 20 games of the season. I started, averaged about 14, 15 a game, um, was solid. Kyrie come back. And we just go through that year. We had a veteran team. Uh, we was loaded. We was pretty good. And then we get to the playoffs. And obviously, we're, we're rolling through every team that we play. We had our adversity throughout the year. But that's every team does. But we stayed together. We stayed the course. And then we get to the finals. You know, we're playing a great Golden State team that hasn't lost two games in a row all year. So you look up, fast forward. You're down 3-1. And I'm going to tell you this. This is the honest guy true. We never lost confidence. We always thought we can come back and win. Always. We took the approach one game at a time. We down 3-1. Game 5 is in their place. Going there and, and get game 5. I always worry about this game 5. Going back home. On the flight home, all we were saying ourselves, oh, they're not celebrating on our court. Because the previous year before I got there, they beat them in Cleveland and celebrated on their court. So our motivation was they not celebrating on our court. We pulled out game six and win. Now it's game seven. You know what our approach was? Oh, anything can happen in game seven. All we got to do is get the same game seven. And it's important what you put into the universe. Because all we was talking before game seven on the flight there, you know, shoot around pregame. Our whole conversation was what we're going to do and how we're going to celebrate in the parade. That's all we was talking about. Wow. We were speaking that win into existence. That's why when you look at the parade, 
how guys was just so ecstatic. You saw guys, Jr. and everybody with their shirts off. Like we we planned that, saying it jokingly. You know, we're saying, man, in the parade, man, I ain't, I'm not wearing a shirt. You know, we're saying it in a way, speaking into existence. And when that when that happened, we come back, game, win game five, win game six, win game seven. There, it wasn't no better feeling. We had one point. I think the number was 1.45 million people downtown Cleveland in one one spot. It, it, it's, it's no better feeling, um, no better memory. It feels like it happened today with all the things, all the memories that I have about it. And it's something that will stay with me for the rest of my life. My kids was able to experience it. It's just something that's amazing. And when you win – at a high level as far as championships on any level, it just makes you feel a certain way. And that's the feeling I want to give my guys. Wow. That, that is awesome. Again, Mo Williams, the new head men's basketball coach uh, at Alabama State, former NBA player, joins us here in the program. So ultimately, you know, after you retire from the league uh, and, and, and probably apropos to retire uh, as a Cleveland uh, Cavalier, you go to Cal State Northridge as an assistant where you had been the last two years. Talk about that. What, what is that something you ultimately wanted to do is to, to get into coaching once your NBA playing days were over? Yep, that was always my goal. Um, in 2005, my third year in the NBA was my first time um, taking it full, full circle, um, getting into it. I coached a 14-year-old team. They was all eighth graders. We took them, you know, on the eighth circuit and I coached him and I had a great experience um, that's when I got the bug and then a few years after that I started my own program and I ran that for about eight years up until I took the assistant coaching job at Northridge uh, and that's when I took the coaching job at Northridge that's when I decided you know what I want to be a head coach let me go get some experience uh, under some guys that actually been doing it forever which in Mark Godfrey and Jim Herrick you know, I learned none of those guys teaching me the ins and outs, and those guys have been very helpful and instrumental in, in giving me the knowledge of all the things that um, that are, that'll be in front of me that I'm gonna have to tackle. Um, so I'm extremely excited and, and um, about the opportunity, but I'm very appreciative of those guys because before I even took the job, that was the whole plan. You know, hey, you're gonna be a head coach come here you learn we're going to teach you everything so you be ready for the opportunity when it come about and i'm grateful for alabama state you know uh, taking a leap of leap of faith of um someone like myself with um minimum uh, head and experience that is and, and seeing my vision hearing my passion um knowing and believing in me knowing that i can get it done no i think that's a great point uh, with the the two years uh, on the collegiate level, and uh, uh, the uh, of course the athletics director uh, stated that hey there were 80 applicants you checked all uh, of the boxes. How did it come about? How, how did it come about? Did they re- did Alabama State reach out to you? Did you apply? How did it come about? So you ultimately now have landed the position as head coach at Alabama State. Well, that's how it happened. You know, obviously it was open. I was one of the 80. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the guys that they um, obviously, obviously did the initial interview for. And I just prepared myself and made sure I was ready for this opportunity. I've been preparing for this opportunity for two years. Um, and, you know, my first time going through the process, the interview process, so there was a lot of anxiety going on there. But I was ready. It was nothing that I wasn't prepared for. Hey, listen, I, I approach it like a game seven. You know, you're going to have them nerves. You're going to have that anxiety. But at the end of the day, you pay for it. This is what you prepare for. This is what you, this is what them long hours of the summer when everybody on vacation, you're getting up in the morning, getting your workout in, and then you get another workout in the evening. You're repeating that. You're preparing for these moments. So it's not something that just came about. It's not something that I just woke up one day and said, you know what, let me go try to get the head coaching job at Alabama State. No, I've been preparing for this. I've been preparing for two years ever since I stepped on the Division One campus, just learning the ins and outs because there's more to it than just coaching. And I understand that, understood it then. That's the reason I took the assistant coaching job, just so I can learn from guys that have been doing it for year after year after year, uh, made mistakes, but at the same time, 
um, been very successful. So I learned both. You know, I've learned what not to do and what to do and what better people to learn from from people that have been successful and also that they made some mistakes in the past and they can give you their experience of that knowledge and, you know, to help you not go into those same 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 kind of jurisdiction of, you know, not doing something the right way. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, Jennifer Lynn Williams, the AD there at Alabama State, doing a great job. And, again, mentioned that uh, you, you checked all the boxes. I mean, you, you come in, uh, you know, with a, a little bit of adversity because Alabama State's going to be not going to be eligible for uh, postseason play uh, on next year due to APR. Uh, your thoughts uh, sort of on that and, and what can you do to help correct that so that, you know, the basketball team is back on par and will be able to participate uh, in the future in postseason play? Well, I appreciate the question first first and foremost. And I, and, and if I had, you know, the, the information that, to give you a, 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 a paragraph answer, I would. But I would say, you know, you know Travis and any information regarding the APR, He'll he'll um, gladly get that information to you, um, but what I would say to that, you know, just in short, uh, we're preparing. Uh, we're preparing. Um, we want to win. We can win a, a regular season championship. That's our goal. Um, we still can get rings. That's our goal. Um, but at the same time, my main goal is getting these kids graduated, get these kids educated, mentoring these kids into men. That's my main goal. And in the process of doing that, we're going to win. I mentioned, and last thought, I mean, I mentioned the fact that, um, you know, you were just introduced uh, officially uh, on Wednesday, but have you had a kind of a chance to, you know, sort of peruse the, the some, whether it's been game film, the roster, et cetera, maybe your, some of the needs you have going into to next season? How, how does that well, kind of look for you? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like I say, I, I, I do my research. I understand what I have um, on tape. But it's different getting those guys in person, face to face on the court, putting your system in, your culture. That can change people. That can change mentalities. That can change overall how they perform on and off the court. I'm a prime example that I've played for multiple coaches. I've played at different teams. I'm not a Tim Duncan clone where I was with one coach for 20 years. No, I've been a guy that played 13, 14 years in the NBA and had seven, eight different coaches. You know, so at the end of the day, I was better in different situations and different systems and things like that. So that's a that's that's a a big part of it. You know, you want to give every kid an opportunity, even the current kids. Um, I'm not going off the past. I live in the present. You know, what you show me now, how you grow, who you are. That's what I'm going off of. So um, I like um, the current players that's there. Watching them on film and talking to them on the phone right now because of the COVID, we can't see each other. So I, I can't wait for the opportunity uh, when when we get the right information where we can get everybody back on campus and kind of get to a normal routine. And I can probably answer that. Well, not probably. I, I can answer that question for you. You know, at that time. Yeah, Mo Williams again, the new head men's basketball coach at Alabama State. Giving us some time here on from the press box to press row again, introduced as the new head men's coach uh, virtually on, at a press conference on Wednesday. Hey, Coach Williams, this was great. Great to catch up with you again. Congratulations. Uh, continue to stay safe and uh, continued success to you and the Hornets moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anytime. Anytime you need me, I'm there. Appreciate that. Mo Williams is the new head men's basketball coach at Alabama State, joining us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. NASCAR driver Tyler Reddick is up next. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Neil Ivey, head women's basketball coach at Notre Dame. Was it hard to leave Notre Dame to go to the Grizzlies? And then was it hard to leave the Grizzlies to come back to Notre Dame? It was both. <laughs> Half of my life has been in Notre Dame, either as a player or an assistant coach, and that was really hard, basically leaving the net. But I knew 
the NBA was an incredible opportunity. And now, you know, taking this opportunity to go back to Notre Dame and leaving Memphis, I absolutely fell in love with the city of Memphis. I fell in love with the guys, the Memphis Grizzlies organization. It was, it was such a positive experience for me. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Joey Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. We track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware. From the press box to press row. Let's continue here on from the press box to press row. Of course, uh, the race in Darlington happening both Sunday uh, and this past Wednesday. And on this upcoming Sunday, the Coca-Cola 600 going to be raced at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And we're joined by a gentleman who drives the number eight for Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet. He is Tyler Reddick. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Tyler, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm definitely excited uh, for this upcoming Sunday's race. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Uh, we are as well. I mean, ha- had to, you know, I know you didn't win on Sunday, but had to feel pretty good. Uh, you're a rookie really on the on the circuit this year, had two races last year, but you finished seventh uh, at Darlington on Sunday. Your thoughts on that race? You no, know, that race was was a, was, a, was a good race for us. We, we had to go come from the back twice. We had a car that could really cut through the field. And our kids just skated all day long. We had good pit stops. We, we did a lot of things right. We felt really good about our chances going into them. Unfortunately, uh, we just missed the balance a little bit. Driver hit the wall. Made the team have to work on the race car to get it somewhat back to, to you know, 85%. And from there, we had to really fight hard to, to get our car driving good. But... We were able to get a 13th place finish out of it. Unfortunately, with the way the restarts were, I mean, if we could have gotten the outside of the restarts, I could have been looking at a top 10 finish. So, all in all, it wasn't a bad day. One restart away, one, one lane choice away from another top 10 there. Yeah, no, no question about it. How, talk about the differences. Obviously, with the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of differences in place. One of those, maybe most notably, only 16 uh, personnel allowed you know, in, in at, at pit road, et cetera. Just, just your thoughts on uh, some of the differences and were uh, and how you had to and your team had to adjust to those on Sunday. We're doing everything we can to keep keep everyone safe and follow the guidelines. So it's definitely a different feel as a driver. I can tell you, I was showing up to the racetrack by myself, going and sitting in the bus myself. And walk up to the race by myself. It's um, it's a very odd, very odd uh, atmosphere. But it's what what we have to do to, to get on the racetrack and, and put put a product out there that our fans are dying to see. And um, it's definitely exciting racing from what I've been able to, to pick up on what's going around me. So hopefully the fans are enjoying that aspect of it and, and getting their fill of racing. Tyler Reddick drives the number eight for Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet. And, of course, uh, on Sunday, NASCAR back in action at this Charlotte Motor Speedway. It is the Coca-Cola 600, 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox. As Tyler joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. For you, Tyler, again, being a a rookie full-time on the circuit, I want to take you to... Uh, a quote that uh, Matt Kenseth uh, had to say. He says, quote, he is, meaning you, just incredibly talented. Uh, speak to that. What does that mean to you? It means a lot. I was able to, I, I noticed it, um, was on Twitter and I responded to it and I was just kind of blown away. Uh, it means a lot to have such nice words coming from a past champion, somebody who's proven time and time again he can hop in a race car cold feet and out there and, and perform. So uh means a lot and it was really been really fun to finally race against Matt. It's he's you know one of the drivers that was uh obviously still to the state really good, but he was definitely really good when I was growing up watching NASCAR. My first ever NASCAR race that I ever attended. Um he's the one that won it. So, you know, just uh it's just really cool. I mean I've remember being a little watching guys like Cam race and just talking about how I have to race against him and even more cool that he had such uh such nice things to say. Yeah, and you know, for you you're 
obviously one of the rookies on the circuit, a candidate for Rookie of the Year. You had two races last year, a top 10 finish, as a matter of fact, in Kansas uh, on last year. And, by the way, the, as you know, the two-time uh, defending Xfinity Series, series champion. Uh, can you speak to maybe even the two races that you had last year and, again, the top uh, 10 finish in Kansas, how those may uh, uh, help you? Uh, for uh, this season, not only for what you've done so far, but also moving forward? Yeah, last year at Kansas, uh, I'm in my second start. Uh, in the 31 car, the third car for Rich Strokes Racing that ran just, you know, just two races last year. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I was working with Justin Alexander, who's back his position for Frost and Dylan again this year. And uh, we just dug and clawed our, clawed our way to that finish. We worked really hard on our car drive the best that it could and uh you know it was just it was a cool race for us as i got to race against guys like jimmy johnson for the first time uh some really good race car drivers and you know we really thought we were realistically probably going to finish about 15th in that day but we had a couple breaks go away and there we were looking at a top 10 finish and that's kind of where my understanding of how the cup racing was going to be and how tough it was going to be but it's all about putting yourself in position for that finish so it was a good race. It gave me the confidence to go through the year and really go hard at it in the Xfinity Series. And shortly after, we got our first win in the Xfinity Series. So from there, everything else came together. But, uh, yeah, from there, I was, I was hungry, and I was wanting to do it. Yep. And then lastly, Tyler, when well, we appreciate the time, it's going to be your first Coca-Cola 600, but you're no stranger to Charlotte Motor Speedway, having had success there in the Xfinity Series. Your thoughts on the Coca-Cola 600 upcoming this Sunday, and, and again, having had success uh, at the track in Charlotte. Yeah, obviously, it's, it's 600 is always, it's, it's always, for as long as I can remember, uh, you know, it's, it's always it's always a great great time to be thankful to our military and all the women that, you know, they give their lives and, and, and put their put their skin on out on the limb for us every single day so that we can go out there and race, and even even more so during these even crazy, even crazier and trying times that we have. So, um, glad to honor Norman L. Tall on our race car this year and in the Army with our paint scheme that Alsco put together with us. So, uh, you know, I'm excited for that race this year behind each time. And, uh, hopefully we can, we can get the balance of our race car dialed in and, and going. So, uh, Alsco has been a good partner. I'm excited to, to have them on the car. I've been wanting to win with them on the car. I've been able to win, win two of the, Two of the races um, as an associate on our car, so uh, in the Xfinity series. So I'm excited to have them back on the car once again, and hopefully we can we can break through and win them. Win with them. Absolutely. Check out Tyler and the rest of the field this Sunday. The Coca-Cola 600 taking place at Charlotte Motor Speedway. You can watch that on Fox 6 p.m. Eastern. As Tyler Reddick joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Road. Tyler, we appreciate the time. Uh, continue to be safe and good luck to you and your team this Sunday at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Thank you very much. NASCAR driver Tyler Reddick joining us here on the program. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Tyler Reddick. Also to Mo Williams for joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. For more information on the program, we've got some great interviews YouTube is up and running. Our YouTube page is up and running. You can search our YouTube page at Box to Row. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Have a safe and wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. Man is on a privilege, you What is he